0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Who do you say that I am? If any one of you were to introduce me, you would do so differently than my children, or my husband, or my parents, or my best friend, or my sisters. So the question that Jesus asks his disciples is a familiar one. Who do you say that I am? How do you know me? Peter knows Jesus as the Messiah, but that is a loaded term. Think of some of the loaded terms in our culture. Feminist, conservative, evangelical, liberal, Christian. In any one of these terms, you might have your own definition. And if you claim one of these terms as your own, you might find yourself telling people what it is you mean by having that title for yourself. Jesus was doing the same thing with the title of Messiah. He was reinterpreting what it means. Now, the idea of the Messiah was understood as one who would come and set the world aright. He would save the people. It was expected that this would be a political act, that he would overthrow the ruling government and establish a new kingdom. That's what Peter had in mind when he said that Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus tells Peter that he must undergo great suffering and that he must die and on the third day he will be raised from the dead. This doesn't fit with Peter's understanding of what the Messiah means. So Jesus tells him to get behind him. You have your mind on earthly things, he says, rather than on divine. How can someone save another person through suffering and dying? How is it it that Jesus saved us through his suffering and dying? as Christianity was developing, it became increasingly necessary to give some thought to the answer to this question. In the first days following the resurrection, it was joy that overcame the followers, and there was little thought given to why it is that Jesus had suffered and died. But in the months and the years to come, the followers of Jesus found themselves needing to give some explanation, trying to make sense of what had happened. And as the years turned into decades, and the decades turned into centuries, and the world continued to develop and change, the need to explain how it is that Jesus had to undergo great suffering, how it is, that answer was developing as well. Why did Jesus have to undergo great suffering? To what end? Now, this is the stuff that theological debates are made for. There are many theories as to why it is that Jesus had to undergo suffering and death. But the one theory that I most agree with that has been most clearly described by a contemporary theologian, Martin Smith, is this. Jesus had to undergo suffering and rejection and be killed for our sake. Not because God demanded it, but because we did. Like Peter, we might suggest that this is not what we need or expect in the Messiah. But God knows God's creation all too well. God knows that we can always find excuses for not following him. God knows our tendency to determine our course of action based more on fear than on love. It is only through Jesus' suffering and death that some of those fears can be silenced. It is through Jesus' suffering and death that we realize that Jesus is fully human since humans suffer and die. In being fully human, Jesus shows us how to be fully human. By his endurance of suffering, he shows us that we can endure as well. By his triumph over death, we know that it is possible for us to triumph over death. It is in this belief and living into this faith that we make our salvation known. It becomes realized among us. By trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved from fear and death. By trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are free to live a life of service to God. Today, in just a few minutes, we will baptize Olivia McKenzie, the daughter of Allison and Eric Bickler, We will baptize her into the household of God. One of the things that we will ask of you parents and godparents is that you will see through your prayers and witness that you do everything within your power to help Olivia grow into the full stature of Christ. And you will answer, I will, with God's help. As Olivia matures, Eric and Allison, you will be charged with helping her realize her unique God-given gifts, so that she might put these in service to God in her life. Each of us must, as followers of Jesus, do the same. No matter how we make our money, or whether or not we even make money, part of the challenging work of being an adult is to take stock of our unique gifts and consider how we might put them in service to God. One of my favorite illustrations of this is the Apostle Paul. We are first introduced to Paul, who was known as Saul, at the beginning of Acts. The book of Acts follows the Gospel of Luke. It, is, it was written by the same author, and it is an early account of what happened in the church in those days following Jesus' resurrection. And in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, we read of Saul approving the killing of Stephen. That's the martyr for whom this church is named. Saul was such a devout Jew, and so against followers of Jesus who were known as people of the way, because he felt that they were apostates to the Jewish faith. And it says in the book of Acts that he ravaged the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, and committing them to prison. At the beginning of the ninth chapter of the book of Acts we read, Meanwhile Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It was on his way to Damascus, where he would be looking for followers of Jesus, that God broke into his life in a new way. It describes it as a great light and that Saul fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. According to the book of Acts, there were people traveling with Saul who heard the same voice but didn't know where it came from. So the next day, when Ananias, who's a follower of Jesus, was told to go to Jerusalem where he would meet Saul, Ananias protested. He said, Lord, I've heard about this guy. I don't want to go. I've heard that he has permission to bind all of those that follow you. But God told Ananias to go, and so he went. In the remaining 19 chapters of the book of Acts, more than two-thirds of that book, we read of what happened with Saul, who became Paul. And in this historical context, we read of how he spread the good news of Jesus throughout hundreds of miles, crossing seas, relying on the provisions of strangers to help him live. We read of his imprisonment and the sufferings that he had. What strikes me is that the same determination, the same conviction, the same single-mindedness that Paul used when he was persecuting followers of Jesus is what he put in action to his service to God. He did more than any one singular person to spread the good news of Christ. He wrote seven of the letters that we have in the New Testament and had something to do with six of the others. His letters are the earliest writings that we have about the church. They even predate the Gospel of Mark that we read here this morning. I tell you all of this to illustrate the point that Paul, who used to be Saul, remained a determined person, single-minded, full of conviction, even after his encounter with Jesus. So it's not like his encounter with Jesus suddenly changed who he was. He didn't all of a sudden become some laid-back and relaxed guy. He just put aside his desire to be known as the most righteous Jew and instead to devote himself with these same God-given characteristics to serving God in Jesus. We see his passion and intensity in the books of 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, Philemon, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. Sometimes he makes very extreme statements, and we find ourselves saying, chill out, Paul, settle down. But Paul doesn't know how to chill out. Paul doesn't know how to settle down. He definitely finds himself persecuted by some of these tendencies, even as he puts these personal attributes in service to God. But it was through that experience that he gave us these words in the letter to the Romans. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Paul says. We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. That is what the Messiah offered to us. We do not need to be afraid of what dedicating our unique God-given gifts and service to God might do to our lives because Jesus showed us that we are more than conquerors. As humans, we will suffer and we will die just as Jesus suffered and died. And just as Jesus was raised to new life, so will we be. Death does not have the last word. We have been saved from death having the last word, for we are more than conquerors because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now our job as followers of Jesus is to live like we believe it. My dear friends, it is my deep desire and my pure delight to see people discover their God-given gifts and put them in subjection to Christ. To witness people deny their inclination to use those gifts to their own glory, and instead to put them in service to God. For to use our God-given gifts in service to God is what it means to be fully human. Jesus demonstrated this for us. So let us receive his salvation and follow him. Amen.